electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I am Scott Wapner, along with Leslie Picker, Carl, Jim, and David. They all have the morning off today. Let's give you a look at futures now. We set up for one of the final trading days of 2021. S&P would open higher by nearly seven. Dow is going for its seventh day in a row to the upside. And boy, the S&P 500 notching its 70th record close of 2021. Looks like it's going to add to that. NASDAQ's higher by nearly 14 points. That's where our roadmap begins today with the look at the markets continuing its melt up. The S&P coming off, as I said, its 70th record close. The Dow having its longest daily winning streak since March. Plus, Omicron hitting the chip maker, Samsung and Micron, warning lockdowns in China may disrupt manufacturing. And another down day for Didi. Revenue plunging after that crackdown from the Chinese government. But we do begin with the market less, as I said, 70th record close for the S&P 500. So it's been an incredible year. Now, we're not going to get the best year ever for record closes. That was in 1995 with 77. Mm. But it's been a pretty darn year and we're streaking towards the finish as well. Yeah, I did a little quick back of the envelope math and it's one out of every four trading days we closed at a record. So if it seems like we've been this kind of broken record of, you know, record close for the S&P 500, record close for the S&P 500, it's because we literally have, that's at least once a week, if you kind of do the back of the envelope math, we've been at a record close. That's just remarkable. And I can't imagine 77 in one year, but to your point, I guess the most we could do this year yeah. is about 72. Interesting moves. And you highlighted this on your show yesterday with regard to the 10-year, though. Uh, one still kind of maintaining its levels at, at 1.5% uh, at this point in time. Bitcoin as well had some bigger moves. But the broader equity market seemed to kind of just be chugging along as we end the year at this point in time. You know, we, we had really struggled to get above 150 on the 10-year and then we, we got above it, got some people's attention, including our own Rick Santelli, who I was talking about during halftime yesterday, suggesting that, OK, now that we finally were able to get above 150, we could push towards 160. I don't know if we're going to do that over the final couple of days of the, the year, but certainly something to keep an eye on. And then the relation that it's going to have to the market at large, technology stocks, et cetera, and how we start thinking and really seriously thinking about when that first rate hike less could come. Yeah, it's a good point, because when you think of all the traditional textbook correlations that we tend to expect in the markets, that especially here in December, we really haven't seen much of them, I guess, with the exception of growth, you know, pairing back a bit and crypto pairing back a bit, just overall risk appetite. Uh, but with regard to kind of the way that the fixed income markets trade and the equity markets trade, I think a lot of people are hoping that there is kind of that return to normal next year with regard to the pivot and Fed policy 
people are hoping that there will be a greater opportunity for value investors and stock pickers and things that, you know, you and I have both heard hedge funds lament for the last decade or so that there hasn't been as much opportunity. But it'll be interesting to see because I feel like we've been hearing that over and over and over again for the last few years at this point. You know, even more remarkable, Leslie, about this late year surge and the way it looks like we're going to finish 2021 is the backdrop that we're doing it against 488,000 new COVID cases in the United States yesterday. Just astronomical numbers and the market's ability to look past not only skyrocketing cases, but the disruptions that are happening throughout the economy obviously around the world, but specifically here in the United States. You keep hearing about it. You know, we're New York centric because of where we are. Transit disruptions. You've heard about police and fire departments having disruptions, hospital systems. We've talked all week about cruise ships and airlines. Now we learn that JetBlue is going to cut back its service into early January. Weather's an issue. But most especially, we're talking about disruptions that are taking place and sick People calling in sick because they're just too sick. And and anecdotally, it's it's across a broad array of businesses. I got a call yesterday from my auto dealer. I was supposed to take the car in for service. They called me yesterday preemptively and said, we need to push it back by three weeks because we've got too many people out sick. We don't have enough people to service the vehicles. So that's anecdotal evidence there. But it's spreading throughout the entire economy. Yeah, it spreads so much. And to your point, Part of that was an influence into why the CDC changed its quarantine guidelines, because they noticed that there was such a tight labor force to begin with. And then, of course, if you have someone catching this extremely contagious virus that then is out for 10 days, well, that can cause a real impact on the economy. Of course, that's led to some controversy with people wondering whether the CDC is prioritizing profits over health and safety. But the CDC would argue that they believe that the science backs up the ability to quarantine for just five days as long as you have a negative test and mask after the fact, and that way they can get the economy back up and running. Uh, But we just showed you a a headline from the New York Times today about this debate over what it means to be fully vaccinated. And I think that's another thing that corporate America is thinking about as we head into the new year. There were all of these plans to get back into the office in January across Wall Street, across corporate America. That was the, the date by which a lot of companies said, okay, employees, you're going to have to be back at this point in time. Now, everybody is rethinking this with most projections that Omicron won't peak until mid-January, potentially even late January at, you know, at where we are in this cycle. And so this idea of fully vaccinated, does it incorporate a booster? If you have two vaccine, vaccines, is that enough? If you need a booster, is there enough supply to get it? Given where we are in this at this point in time, I was talking to my son's teacher yesterday who has to wait about a month to get her booster just because there isn't enough supply where she lives in order to get it. And so I think all of those questions are something that people are going to be grappling with as we start the new year. Yeah, no doubt. It's not going to surprise me one bit if we go to a more specific definition of fully vaccinated being uh, boosted as well. But as we talk about this issue and we talk about all the disruptions, it's not only on our minds and Wall Street's mind, it's on Dr. Anthony Fauci's mind as well. Uh, he was on the closing bell yesterday speaking about this very issue and why those rules uh, were changed. Let's listen. We need to keep society running in the sense of there are many other deleterious effects health-wise effects, if society is crippled in the sense 
of being functioning to keeping critical things going. So in order to address that, they looked for a balance between what is safe and scientifically based and what could get us to keep society running. You know, the other issue to consider when you listen to Dr. Fauci is part of the CDC saying that you don't need to test to get out of uh, the quarantine mm-hmm. period or the or these new rules simply because there aren't enough tests to go around. It's been too hard, as you said, you know, not only to get appointments for booster shots in some places, but for consumers to find the tests. And, you know, look, it's been a debacle, uh, really, in terms of the testing. It's hard to find them. The CDC is scrambling as a result to make that sort of statement that you don't even have to test negative to get back into society as Dr. Fauci and others want us all to be. And it just adds another curveball and another variable into what is already a really difficult equation to solve. Yeah, there's so much confusion out there, especially just even little things like what kind of a mask is actually protective at this point in time after you finish, say, a five day quarantine? Should you be wearing One of those cloth masks, should you be wearing an N95 or a KN95? I mean, there's so much out there that's misunderstood. There was also a really good thought this morning um, on Squawk Box this morning, kind of talking about the mis-messaging with regard to vaccines and the ability for people to kind of digest the fact that their vaccines will keep them out of the hospital versus not prevent a positive test. This is from Dr. Kavita Patel. Take a listen. It is a failure. I'll take responsibility. So much of what uh, we're trained in in public health, epidemiology and medicine is empirical science. So when we talked about in November of 2019, 2020, rather, when we talked about the miraculous, quote, efficacy, most people didn't understand what efficacy was. We did not translate that to say, by the way, America, this means that people will get infections. It was intended to not it was intended to prevent hospitalization and death. Right. The idea from Dr. Patel, if the, the messaging from the beginning was that, look, the vaccine is not intended primarily to keep you from getting covid. The intention is to keep you out of the hospital. So that's specifically what what she's referring to. And yet, as we've said, the market has had an ability to look past almost every negative headline of late, for sure, as it relates to Omicron because we think it's less severe and thus we keep hitting these record highs, as we said, 70 uh, of the year uh, for the S&P. For more on the markets, let's bring in our market guests of the morning. Advisor Investment CIO Jim Lowell, Rockefeller Global Family Office CIO Jimmy Chang. Uh, Guys, great to have you both with us. I'm curious, uh, Jim, you look at what the market has been able to look past. Are, Are you surprised at how resilient it is when I tell you that we're still doing 480 plus thousand new cases of COVID a day. Well, it certainly remains surprising to us that the market and for that matter, the economy continues to be able to find ways to grow despite not just the Omicron variant and its toll, which really has yet to be fully wrung, uh, but also ahead of the new variant. We already saw dramatic labor shortages. We saw all kinds of shortages in terms of uh, commodities across the board, not just here, but globally. So the fact that this economy and the market that's correlated to it continued to drive higher surprised us a bit, but we were already prepared to be able to ride some some increased volatility this year. And because of uh, what happened last year in terms of the sudden swoon and then the steady rebound, We learned a few lessons there in terms of how to not just stay the course, but better maneuver our portfolios to ensure that 
uh, we are taking a, a safe but but still profitable route. Getting a little spoiled, too, Jimmy, aren't we? Three straight years of double-digit gains for the S&P 500. Now we've got some tough sledding uh, coming uh, on the hill in front of us. Prospect of higher interest rates, more active Fed, who knows what with COVID. What's 22 going to look like? Yeah, indeed. You know, 21, we have the perfect alignment of massive fiscal monetary stimulus and the vaccines helping normalization. Next year will be the first time in a number of years that the market has to stand on its own. We're not going to get additional largesse from either the fiscal side or the monetary side. In fact, on the monetary side, the tide will be turning, right? The liquidity may be receding at some point. So I do believe it's going to be a more volatile year. And historically, the third year of a bull market tends to be choppier, uh, more difficult to get gains. And, you know, typically it's because inflation starts to run higher. The Fed starts to respond. So as a result, uh, the third year is usually a fairly challenging year. Jimmy, just to follow up on that, um, you think market activity will also be bifurcated. There will be differences between, say, the first half of the year and the second half of the year. What should investors be expecting and how should they put money to work now to account for those differences? I think in the first half of the year, we're still getting the benefit from the strength in 2021. Some of the supply chain disruptions will lead to some deferred sales getting delivered in the first half. There's some inventory restocking. We will see reacceleration by, you know, on the service side in the second quarter, in the springtime, as we get beyond Omicron. So those are positive drivers. But at some point, we run out of additional inventory to fill and things will start to decelerate. So my expectation is that by late 2022, growth will decelerate back down to trend line and perhaps even below trend line. So as such, it's kind of a year of two halves. The first half, probably more driven by, you know, the cyclical stocks, value stocks. And by second half, you probably want to position for higher quality, more defensive names. And Jim, you're also expecting a more volatile 2022. What's your recommendation for investors, how they should be positioned? Well, one area you could look at is healthcare. Uh, clear laggard this year, but certainly benefits from necessary demographic demands on a going forward basis. So being able to pick up some battleship balance sheet blue chips in that sector uh, for long-term investors at current discounted prices makes good sense to us. We agree with Jimmy that second half of the year, travel leisure likely to rebound, but too early, I think, to try and trade that, that updraft. We have to see how the medical data plays out. Uh, we also think that a good mix between growth and value, and not just here at home, but globally, makes sense across capitalization ranges and that you're going to need to be more active, more selective. You just buy whole, whole market baskets. We don't think, to Jimmy's point, it becomes choppier, it becomes more difficult to figure out where the opportunities are. But that doesn't mean there aren't any. The wild card for us remains China. And uh, with regard to China, whether or not it stops uh, imposing self-inflicted wounds on its own market, and of course the ripple effects of whatever it does on the global markets. Uh, Long-term, we'd love to uh, be able to build our position in China at, uh, at discounted prices, but near-term, uh, the politics certainly are excessively volatile. Guys, wish you a happy new year. Look forward to speaking with you in 22. Jim and Jimmy, appreciate your time very much. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up, Tesla's big surge, the stock up almost 40 percent for this quarter alone. But the automaker announcing a recall this morning. Shares down 1.7 percent in pre-market trading. We'll look at how you should play Tesla in 2022. More Squawk on the Street ahead. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now 
It's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back. Take a look at shares of Tesla down about 2% this morning. Shares up more than 50% for the year, though, so far. Uh, but this morning, the automaker announcing a recall of nearly 500,000 electric vehicles over malfunctioning issues. Mizuho Securities' Vijay Rakesh joins us now to discuss what to expect next from Tesla in 2022. Vijay, are these headlines concerning for you? Do you think this is going to ultimately be material for Tesla? Uh, we don't think so. I think you have seen, uh, and obviously it will be material in terms of the recall, but um, we think uh, given electric vehicles are so new, um, you are going to see these rolling uh, you know, recalls with multiple OEM, multiple suppliers, right? So, uh, but a lot of these could be software uh, over the air updates um, that could be resolved fairly uh, quickly. So, uh, again, uh, you know, I think this is a new segment, so you're starting to see some of these um, improvements that need to be put in uh, and can be done uh, more like a software update. So as long as it's not a major hardware update, which we don't think uh, is the issue, uh, they, they seem to be par for the course. So. There was a, a piece in the Wall Street Journal about how Tesla's Silicon Valley-oriented roots really helped it stave off some of the issues related to the chip shortage that a lot of other automakers faced this year. But what about other supply chain issues like logistics and labor staffing? Are these things that Tesla will still need to contend with and be mindful of as we head into 2022? Yeah, I do think, uh, you know, this is obviously a massive sector for the electric vehicle industry. And if you look at the EV market, it's growing at 100 percent top line CAGR unit CAGR over the next 10 years or so. Uh, versus you know, if you look at the combustion engine side of the market uh, with the legacy automobiles, they're declining. They're at negative 5% CAGR. So definitely, as you see these massive growth numbers, um, they have to bring capacity on. For Tesla specifically, we would highlight a couple of key things. Number one, 
They have two major facilities coming uh, online or ramping at uh, Texas and Berlin that should drive 2022. Number two, supply constraints that we have seen in the last two years should start to alleviate in 2022. Uh, number three, I would say the battery cost. Like battery is a big chunk of the electric vehicle uh, cost, about 30% of the cost. Those costs should come down, especially as commodity costs are now peaking. So all those three should be a tailwind for Tesla into 2022. And, and don't, uh, I would also remind uh, you have some new models coming out on Tesla with, with semis and cyber trucks, et cetera. That should be a tailwind for Tesla. So we see another strong year uh, for electric vehicles uh, as you look at 2022. So. You know, you know, Vijay, it's interesting. Okay, you have a buy on the stock. Your price target is lower than where the stock is trading now. Uh, at least in terms of what I see, $950. And I want to ask you about your bear case, because that's what jumps out to me in your note, where you say with a number of EV startups and legacy OEMs ramping EV production in the coming years, Tesla could see a significant increase in competition. My issue is that with that is, isn't your bear case the base case? That's already happening. Yeah, so let's address both of them. So number one on the on the price target said obviously the stock has been a rocket ship, like you said, fifty percent up fifty percent year to date, and you know we we have been uh, you know um, so I think there is still uh, room room there. So uh, so I think that's basically the stock is volatile. That's what you're seeing on the price target side. Uh, in terms of competition, you know this is a technology industry, right? So. Competition is again a uh, fair game, and it makes uh, you know it makes the incumbents or, or Teslas uh, try to drive better performance. Uh, you know, uh, try to come out ahead. So this is not new. I think you'll always see competition there. The question is who survives. And I think if you look at Tesla, and we also highlight Rivian here, uh, very vertically integrated models, and these these will be the big survivors. We see these as the next trillion dollar. OEMs, especially with Rivian as well. But, uh, you know, competition is not new. I don't think it changes the landscape at all. Uh, the problem for the competition, though, is they have a huge combustion engine portfolio. And the question is, how do you balance a declining combustion engine, engine portfolio? That's probably 70% of your sales today, or probably more than that, uh, while when you're focusing more on the electric vehicle side. So the pure place, uh, like Tesla and Rivian, will be much, uh, are in a much better spot in terms of being competitive, uh, having a much uh, nimble portfolio uh, focusing on the technology side. So it, it actually positions them much better. Well, they certainly uh, have a lot of market share at this point in time. I think you said 19% in your latest note. So we'll see what uh, 2022 brings. Vijay, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks a lot. All right, coming up with Kathy Wood tweeted about inflation and the innovation stocks. Let's take another look at futures. Been 70 record closes for the S&P 500, looking to extend that. Seven up days in a row for the Dow. Looks like we're going to extend that as well, though we do have a long day ahead of us. So we'll see more Squawk on the Street when we come right back. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shei, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. 
Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Take a look at shares of Peloton leading this list of the week's worst performers in the NASDAQ 100. Well, take a look at that. It's down almost 11% week to date. Pinduo Duo, Dexcom, Baidu, and Zoom Video also on the list. Opening bell is just minutes away. All right, welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, joins us now as we count down to the opening bell. I want to start with a warning from two of the world's largest memory chip makers, Micron and Samsung saying a COVID-19 lockdown in the Chinese city of Xi'an could impact production at their manufacturing plants. See the quote from Micron adding that the curbs have resulted in thinner staffing levels at its facility and might cause delays in the supply of DRAM chips. Uh, Mike, you know, these stocks, too, the semi-space has been one of the hot areas uh, able to start trying to look beyond some of these disruptions yeah, and Scott, it feels as if, um, in general, investors right now are, are leaning on this idea that it seems temporary, seems localized. And then, of course, you know how things are in the memory chip world is anything that curtails potential future supply all of a sudden firms up pricing and people start to try to say, maybe we're not going to go from shortage to glut next year, as some of the bears have been saying. So obviously, really strong group. Um, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if it you know, found an excuse to come in a little bit. But for now... And across the market, this is the case. People are deciding not to completely reposition or revise their their overall outlooks for next year based on what's going on today, whether it's these, you know, localized shutdowns, restrictions or the case surges at the moment. Yeah, we're looking at the opening bells now. Uh, Mike, you'll stay with us, but I want to show you this uh, opening bells, the CNBC real time exchange down at the big board education nonprofit team wilderness and up at the Nasdaq renewable energy and ESG SPAC. Project Energy Reimagined Acquisition Corp. Uh, so we could talk about the open. Uh, Mike, you know, again, we're not going to have the greatest year ever in terms of S&P uh, record highs. That was in 1995, where we had 77. We've put 70 in the book. So it looks like we're going out with a bang. And then the big question is going to be what comes next, if we can take some of this momentum and how far we can carry it into the new year. Yeah, and actually, in other respects, this year is going to end up resembling 1995, 2013, 2017. These are years I've been mentioning for months now where you had very minimal pullbacks, no 10% correction along the way, lots of rotations, market really, uh, all the surprises seem to come at the index level to the upside as opposed to underneath the surface. And then what comes next is, uh, is kind of interesting. You rarely see a great year like this both repeated, but you also see it rarely give way to a truly damaging uh, year. So it seems as if it's logical to expect, you know, let's downscale expectations a little bit. We're not going to compound at 30% every year. This is the third year in a row we're doing 20%. I think we've doubled off the 2018 December low. You know, uh, it doesn't owe us anything. But, but, but interestingly enough, there's been enough wear and tear under the surface. There's enough stocks that seem like they have catch up to do that it's not as if we were barreling into the year as we did in 2018, where everyone thought it was great and mm-hmm. getting better. We had a corporate tax cut and the momentum blow off was very dramatic. Mike, I'm curious. Let me if- ask you this. Um, oh, go ahead, Scott. Oh, sorry, Les. I, I just noticed, you know, what do you make, Mike, of the divergence between the S&P in this last burst, if you want to call it that, of the year and the fact that Bitcoin 
as I look at it right now, is down again. And it's at 47.2, where there was such a correlation towards, you know, risk, uh, speculative assets, or even just the tracking of, of the S&P and, and Bitcoin. And now it's diverging a bit. What do you make of that? I mean, Bitcoin's characteristics this year have matched up most closely with the real kind of high adrenaline uh, risk appetite plays that all peaked in the first quarter, right? So that would be SPACs, IPOs, uh, no profit tech, the archetype portfolios, all of that stuff had a dramatic vertical peak in January, February, maybe a little bit later than that. And that to me is a little more uh, rhyming with the, the cadence of Bitcoin's returns also. I mean, you know, what is it, up 500% in the last two years? So it's really tough to say that it's been tracking anything else. Yeah, there's been correlations on a day-to-day -day basis. I just think some of that stuff, when it becomes a little bit less fun and you had a ton of hot money enter near the high prices, it, it, it has to have a little bit of a, uh, it's more than just digestion. You actually have a little bit of a, of a, of a questioning period as to, you know, what was real and what was just pure uh, momentum, it becomes a little bit less fun. I think that's a huge aspect of crypto right now. If it doesn't mm. seem like it's fun and you're getting in early on something, then what's the point if <laughs> the, uh, the real world manifestations are not really there yet? So I think all that stuff is at play. And, you know, in a couple of months, if we were to be flat with Bitcoin uh, at these levels, you're talking about a 12 month year, you know, decline, actually, for, you know, on a mark to market basis. Mike, can we extrapolate any of that to just the involvement of the retail investors. I mean, in the first half of the year in particular, they were such a big part of the market. It became just part of the mainstream memes, vernacular uh, that were all kind of created in this environment where people were staying at home and trading more. Do you think that that has dissipated? And do you think we'll see continued retail action, whether it be in crypto or whether it be in some of these, you know, what we now call meme stocks in 2022 as well? You know, let's see, first of all, it, it peaked, that, that fevered activity did peak in terms of, you know, retail options volumes and the flows through the retail brokerage channel, but it has come down not to pre-pandemic level. So it's still elevated. It still seems as if there's more public participation. It, it's probably gonna migrate around the markets. It's not gonna be in the same tickers as, you know, captured people's attention back in January, February. Uh, but, you know, to me, I think it's it, it, there's a broadening base of public participation, but it's happening in a just kind of a less concentrated way where you had, you know, this social phenomenon of these stampedes into individual stocks. Or I think the crypto world, you know, it's it's very alive with a lot of people discovering it. Uh, and therefore, it's very alive with a lot of people just kind of being very opportunistic and selling the next coin or or promoting other promoters. I mean, if you put the Bitcoin symbol in a tweet, look at the replies. OK, it's everybody <laughs> who's been told you need to promote this other person who's going to tell you how to tr trade Bitcoin. It's a little bit, uh, you know, kind of overwhelming and a little bit sober. It is remarkable, to be honest. Um, in terms of volatility, do you think that the effects of retail traders could actually be magnified next year as we think about there being limited liquidity? Obviously, people have less of an attention span if they are going back to the office, if they are no longer receiving stimulus checks that they then intend to trade. But at the same time, you do have a, a system where the Fed is paring back its tapering, looking at potential rate hikes. People say that could create more volatility, and especially in some of these smaller cap stocks, which tend to get the attention here. Uh, could we see a repeat of GameStop, do you think, kind of given that backdrop? You know, 
obviously anything could happen. I think a lot of that reckoning has taken place. <laughs> you know, a lot of, you know, the, the leadership uh, of the market from the first quarter of this year, I mean, almost all that stuff has, you know, been down 20, 30, 40%, right? Look at the cloud names, any of those areas. So I feel like we've kind of had this process going through kind of roll on a rolling basis. In terms of whether there's less liquidity, I mean, consumer balance sheets seem okay. Uh, you know, account balances are way up. So there's a lot, there's a lot of fuel in the system. And I've never been that much uh, of a, you know, a, a kind of a believer in this idea that the Fed, by setting the benchmark rate where it does, and by buying bonds and creating reserves in the banking system is so directly fueling, you know, giving ammo to, to some of the, the speculative trades. I think it's a lot more about crowd psychology, which, yeah, sure, it's influenced by what the Fed is doing or might do. But um, in general, it's hard to, to make that case. Hey, guys, I'd love to call your attention and certainly get you both to weigh in on a tweet that we saw this morning from hedge fund manager Bill Ackman. It was really a quote tweet uh, if you will, reacting to some thoughts from a very well-respected voice in the medical community. Bob Wachter, he runs the medical uh, department out at the University of California, San Francisco, talking about the possibility of some very positive trends relating to COVID over the next month, uh, month and a half uh, to, to a couple of months, both in the way that Omicron is, is less severe, how it uh, could peak and then decline rapidly, but also in the ramp up of testing, uh, whereas Ackman, if we can throw that up one more time, he was reacting to a thread uh, from Bob Wachter in which he says, uh, quote, this was the Omicron scenario I was hoping for, presented by an extremely credible source, very bullish for the economy, growth and likely equity markets. You know, Leslie, he, Mr. Ackman has been pretty public in how he's been positioned in the market. He said for a while now that he's been long equities, uh, but that he's hedged through a short mm -hmm. uh, in treasuries because he was expecting interest rates to go up. And it's more specifically on the shortest end of the curve, the two year um, way outweighing a short that he would have in the 10 year as well. Uh, and it's my understanding that they're still positioned that way, expecting that the Fed is going to have to raise rates sooner than expected. But again, even in the face of that, uh, he's still long equities. He's just hedged through that mechanism. Yeah, it makes sense that he would, if, if he does believe, of course, that the signs with Omicron uh, indicate bullishness and that the economy is roaring, that he would put on such a hedge. He, he remarkably, just to kind of remind our viewers, uh, made several billion dollars in uh, the early part of 2020 when he uh, put on a different kind of hedge related to some of the coronavirus market-driven volatility that we saw at that time. And then subsequent was very... Uh, prescient in buying equities, long equities, doubling down on some of the, the long holdings that he had. And of course, he runs a very concentrated book. Pershing Square is up 27 percent this year, following gains of 70 percent in 2020. Uh, but guys, I just wanted to draw your attention to a bit of news that uh, I have on Jana Partners. Um, I'm told they're ramping up their efforts to scuttle Zendesk's multi-billion dollar takeover of the SurveyMonkey parent company Momentiv. This is according to a person familiar with the matter. Jana has hired proxy solicitor D.F. King to help in their efforts. Both Zendesk shareholders and Momentive shareholders need to approve this deal. So both stocks plummeted on the announcement. Their efforts in hiring a proxy solicitor would indicate that they are uh, actively reaching out to investors to kind of 
team up uh, in their efforts to make sure that this deal does not get approved. However, it is very rare for deals to be voted down by shareholders on both sides of the deals. But some investors are starting to think about what happens to these companies if the deal is voted down. I was perusing the merger document as one does on, you know, a holiday week. Uh, The proxy filed in connection with this deal. Goldman included in it uh, some fairness opinion, actually, with some projections indicating kind of where they see the multiple of each company. They said a forward multiple of 12x for Zendesk and a 6.7x multiple for Momentive uh, is is what they determined to be an appropriate value looking out at least one year in terms of uh, their enterprise value relative to sales there. Now, the shareholder vote is slated for February. This is just one to keep a close watch on because it is kind of a, a rare fight that we've seen these days, guys. Yeah, no, yeah we'll, we'll keep say, an eye I mean, on the market it. Has uh, it we know you'll keep digging on it, smaller too. Smaller cloud deals at this point, yeah. Yeah, the market, the market seems hey, to... Hey, Mike, will you react? Sorry, go ahead, I knew Scott. this was going to happen at some point. <laughs> We're all in three different places. At yeah, it's, it's bound to happen. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you this, Mike. Just react to, to what we were talking about with, with Ackman, the idea that you can be yeah. um, long equities and bullish on the other side of Omicron, but still expressing a hedge through a short in treasuries, expecting the Fed to be uh, more active, but still having a more positive view on the overall stock market. I think it fits together. I question how much that differs from what the overall market is actually positioned for at this point. I mean, I think everybody is more or less feeling as if this is a relatively brief uh, surge that's going to burn itself out. Nobody's really doing too much to alter uh, their growth outlooks. And then the short end has already been uh, a good short in terms of Treasury. So, you know, we're pricing in two to three rate hikes as this. All right, Mike, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. Uh, Before we head to break, it's time for the bond report with Chicago PMI data due out in just moments from now. Let's take another look at how treasuries are faring. You can see the 10 years trading right around 1.539% for its yield, uh, but in the red for some of the longer duration notes there. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Rick Santelli here live at CMHQ with the last breaking news of 2021. Our December read on Chicago PMI expected to be up at 62.0, an improvement 63.1. So we're a bit better than expected. And this is after the 61.8, which was our November read. That was the lightest read going back to February of this year. We see that yields just a whisker under 1.54% in tens. And of course, as you look at the entire curve, uh, we're up about 60 basis points on the year on tens. We want to see if we're going to be below 50 or closer to 1.60% by the end of 2021. Squawk on the Street will return after these short messages. Let's get to Bob Pisani now, who has more on the early market action. Bob, what do you say? Nice Nice move here, Scott. Believe it or not, it's three to one advancing to declining stocks on the New York Stock Exchange. I know on the point basis it doesn't look like a lot, but it's a good open. We started with defensive stocks. Take a look at the sector. Staples, 
uh, healthcare utilities were strong. Uh, but now we're seeing more cyclical names like energy and uh, bank stocks come to the fore. You really want to see that. You need those cyclical stocks to move forward. Semis are one of the groups that are weak. And of course, that's not very surprising. Remember yesterday we talked about that Samsung announcement about potential disruptions at their plant in Xi'an. Micron has now come out with essentially the same thing here. So there's obviously some localized issues going on, whether this actually broads into a real actual international supply chain issue is not clear right now, but that's certainly a little bit of an early warning sign. You see most of the major semiconductors a little bit on the weak side. Just to look at, took a look at buybacks. Uh, you can see it today on my Trader Talk article, tradertalk.cnbc.com. The good news is we're going to hit another record year. This is an historic record for buybacks, $850 billion. The old record was 2018, $806 billion. That's the good news. The question, though, is not buybacks is do they reduce the share counts? Remember, lower share count means higher earnings per share. That's what you want to do when you buy back stock. Unfortunately, the overall evidence is no. While there is some companies like Apple, for example, Oracle, they are actually reducing their share count. Share count in the S&P 500 is actually a little higher than it was several years ago. This seems a little odd. They've spent hundreds of billions of dollars buying back stock and the share count is actually higher. There's two reasons why this is happening. Number one, buybacks are being replaced with more options. Executives, it's like giant spinning wheel here with executives getting more options uh, even as they're exercising the, buy, their, the buybacks. Uh, secondly, remember, the market's a lot higher. Higher share prices reduce the amount of shares a company can buy. So a million dollars doesn't buy the same amount of shares as it did a few years ago. So that's two particular problems with buybacks. So this is all part of this debate about what to do with cash flow. Companies are awash in cash flow. There's a lot of things you could do with that money. You could buy back stock. You can also increase dividends. You could reduce debt. You could do capital investment. You could do all sorts of things. The one thing I can assure you about 2020 is the buybacks are going to keep coming because corporate America is flush with cash. We may or may not have a record year, but we're certainly going to start off with a lot of buybacks. In fact, today, Kroger just today announced another $1 billion buyback. They've been actually not only buying back stock, but reducing their share count for the last several years. $1 billion buyback for Kroger. That replaces the old $1 billion buyback. Uh, and they've got a $32 billion market cap. So if they actually keep reducing the shares, that's a good sign. You know, this is not going to go away, this debate. This is a big political issue. You know, Leslie, uh, there's the Build Back Better program that President Biden is trying to get through. That's got a 1% uh, tax on buybacks built into mm. it. Now, of course, the Build Back Better program is stalled in negotiations right now. But Washington's been outraged about this for many, many years, saying most of the time the buybacks just enrich the corporations and the executives that are involved. This is still going to be an issue in 2022. Yeah. Leslie? So maybe the companies are looking to get out ahead of that, even if that means buying back their stock at or near record highs this year. Bob, thank you for breaking that down for us. Okay. Uh, a number of transports, speaking of all-time highs, hitting all-time highs this week, including CSX, Union Pacific, and Norfolk Southern. Truckers such as J.B. Hunt and Old Dominion have risen 50 and 90 percent this year, respectively. Joining us now with some top picks going into next year is Deutsche Bank's Amit Mahotra. Amit, thank you very much for being here. Uh, well, let's just get right into it. What are your top picks heading into next year? Well, I mean, we're, we're at an interesting time. We're super positive here at Deutsche Bank on the fundamental kind of supply and demand picture. You know, U.S. consumers, uh, household net worth is over $140 trillion dollars. Uh, Non-mortgage debt as a percentage of net worth is at levels we haven't seen since 1965. So the demand picture couldn't be um, more um, 
uh, positive and 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 in, the, in that context, there's a lot of investment opportunities. The problem that we see, and we publish this in our 2022 outlook report, the problem is, is multiples. Um, you know, when, when we have high inflation and higher interest rates, it's almost always a negative for equity valuations. And it, it's through that lens in which we're being a little bit more selective in our stock selection. So specifically for top picks, uh, the two ones I would highlight are XPO Logistics, and night transportation, KNX. KNX in particular is the largest trucking company in the country. And, and these two companies have the biggest potential for narrative change where we're not too worried about the multiple compression risk that brings this brought on effectively by inflation and higher interest rates. Just to flip that on its head, where are you most worried about multiple compression? Where do you see kind of the biggest risk to the downside? Well, it's undeniable that, you know, the, the transport sector has actually uh, enjoyed um, a very strong run over the last four or five years. And that's really been the call that we've had for the last several years. Um, but in that context, the, the sector as a whole is not overly expensive relative to the S&P 500. So there's not a lot of clear indicators of where we're most concerned. However, if you're sticking with that narrative change, a company like C.H. Robinson, which is the largest truck brokerage company in the country, an incredibly high return company, but what COVID has done is accelerated the customer adoption of digital freight brokers, which really poses a risk to C.H. Robinson. So I would say C.H. Robinson from a narrative change perspective is a little bit more concerning to us given all the traction that these digital startup freight brokerage companies have actually had in the COVID environment. Oh, interesting. I'm curious what your channel checks reveal with regard to staffing and labor issues that have struck all sectors across the economy, it feels like, with regard to this latest Omicron variant. Uh, trucking and logistics have had a hard time staffing pretty much all year for the last several years. Are you seeing this really affect their ability to meet demand? Well, you have to look at it from a different perspective, if I could. I would say that, um, you know, people and labor are uh, a proxy for capacity. And so um, as in, in freight transportation, when capacity goes down, pricing goes up. And you've really seen, uh, we at Deutsche Bank published a few months ago, this term calling, we're currently in the golden age of transports, uh, largely because labor challenges are uh, allowing companies to uh, reprice their book of business at a rate that we've never seen before. And so it's not just labor shortages associated with COVID, which are very obviously very unfortunate, but it's also um, uh, the U.S. government instituted a uh, alcohol um, clearinghouse, uh, alcohol and substance use clearinghouse about 18 months ago, which has taken out a lot of potential drivers from the pool um, due to you know so, some 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 issues uh, with respect to the clearinghouse. And so what we've seen is is that there's 70,000 drivers uh, that are reduced in their pool of drivers that, that are available that yeah. exacerbate this problem that we're seeing with COVID on labor. Interesting. Ahmed, thank you very much for sharing that thank perspective you. with us. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. 
See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.